the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday's sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down, welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. Happy Mardi Gras, happy Ash Wednesday everybody. It's all happening. Fat Tuesday in real time, our recording time. That's right. Talking about gluttony on Mardi Gras Day itself. Oh, so thematic. (laughs) (laughs) Describe Mardi Gras growing up in New Orleans. Or Fat Tuesday specifically, sorry. It was very fat and not very clothed and quite inebriated. I think I've told this story before in parts. I'll just give you the punchline. My last Mardi Gras that I ever celebrated in New Orleans. So it was my senior year in high school and it ended with multiple arrests, a car being, a buddy's car being impounded and one of my friends getting in a fist fight with his dad. Oh man. (laughs) That's, that's, uh, yeah, that actually said It was good while it lasted. It's some context for your sermon today as you, (laughs) as you uh, approach the topic of gluttony. It is kind of funny you didn't you yeah you didn't hit as hard as you could on fat tuesday or on super bowl for that matter that's true context of the week we actually have a helen wolf question about that would relate to some of these things but you're right (laughs) um yeah new new orleans and gluttony um it's it's an interesting like it's an interesting connection point to start off actually are the seven deadly sins are is there like an order to them Yes. Like a real order, like a yeah. Catholic order? Yes. Um, okay. And gluttony is like number one. Are they, Correct. how are they weighted? Like, is what it do you like mean? one is the most deadly and, or least deadly, or is it just, who, who I think one, one leads to another. Gluttony, greed, anger, listlessness, dejection, lust, envy, pride. I see. Okay. Oh, th- you mean they're coming directly from, no, they're not qu- coming directly from like a scripture passage or something. No. Okay. It's just that some some monk somewhere, yeah, created this list mm-hmm. and gluttony. Yes, <laughs> the the coda to the Mardi Gras story from senior year in high school is that the day of Mardi Gras things end relatively early. You start really early in the morning, and so late afternoon things and you're off peter school. out yeah you're off school all week so <laughs> mardi gras is tuesday but you have wednesday thursday friday you saturday also have sunday a regular to recover spring break. Is that correct? and the regular spring okay, break yeah. yes the so so i got back after an abortively horrible ending to mardi gras day at around 7 p.m one of my friends brad c gives me a call and says hey do you want to go out tonight <laughs> I said, Brad, no, I never want to go out ever again. And he's like, but there's no school tomorrow. It's like, Brad, you were with me today. And I, I, uh, I admire your commitment to the bit, but it is shocking to me that you want to go out for another round at this point. Yeah. Um, it happens. Yeah, Mardi Gras. Wait, <laughs> so this, this week in New Orleans, they do get off for Super Bowl sunday like so they're they're off this week yes although the super bowl is not tied to the lunar calendar yeah but maybe it will be (laughs) 
Actually, be... is Lent and Easter tied to the lunar calendar? I don't even know. <laughs> I'd make a bad monk in more ways than one. Um, okay, so call it stormy one day. We're kind of setting the stage for this. Uh, I, I, did, I buried the lead. Seven Deadly Sins. The Seven Deadly Sins. Tell me the origin story about this sermon series again. I feel like there was one. I think it was at at a meeting of the elder team talking and praying about a future sermon series. It may have been Elder Clint that said, hey, what about the Seven Deadly Sins? That would be interesting to mm -hmm. talk about. I'd have to ask more whether it was Clint or not. So, so we don't have, I'm trying to think through, we don't have any current elders that spent any time in the Catholic Church, so I think it's coming from a Protestant background, mm -hmm. but hey, Lent, we wanted a dedicated sermon series for Lent, and Lent has connotations of seriousness, repentance, thinking seriously about one sin before Jesus, and my take is that it just occurred to someone and was affirmed by others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this 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 could be a this could be a good fit, and and I like it. So if Lent is a, is a season, I was going to say a holiday, a season in the, <laughs> in the life of the liturgical life of the church, when. One of the primary thrusts of Lent is that we take sin seriously. So right. tomorrow at our Ash Wednesday service, Angel Garcia and I will impose ashes on the foreheads of anybody that would receive them. And we'll say, from dust you were created and from dust you shall return. Mourn the sins that cost Jesus his life. Repent and believe the gospel. Yeah. And so if that's the opening salvo of this season, Seven Deadly Sins feels like I hope and pray it'll be a good way in for us to be able to talk more about these things. Right. And so, and gluttony is number one. Yep. Um, what is the, your, uh, the question here is, um, what are you, what are you hoping for in this, with this particular sermon reflecting on gluttony? What are you trying to speak to, to the audience? Yeah. So the challenge with gluttony specifically, and I mentioned at one point during the sermon, um, I'm not sure that gluttony is a sin per se, mm -hmm. so I felt a little bit like false advertising when the seven announcement is sins. we're doing seven deadly sins, although I'm not sure that the first sin on the list is actually a, a sin, but I think the flip side of that is that it's slippery, where if in itself, crassly speaking, if I go to Olive Garden on their all-you-can-eat pasta and breadsticks night and have too much pasta and breadsticks, do I need to repent, per se? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. But there is something insidious about gluttony that I think is worth talking about. And then also, there's some interesting overlap and disjunction with the seven deadly sins in general but then also specifically gluttony with secular culture where there is a real emphasis on I need to take time to work on myself sort of, sort of stuff, wellness culture, healthy living culture, lifestyle culture. And Seven Deadly Sins is an ancient analog for that. But then there are other ways in which 
mortification of sin is very unlike modern approaches sure. to sure. Our, our problems and indulgences. So yeah, those were the so things. You're thinking a lot about the setup of sin, just in general, and the framework of how modern culture treats it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then specifically to like this concept of gluttony. Yeah. So gluttony sets the table for many other sins. Let's put it that okay. way. <laughs> and um, for you, yeah. Anyway, let's we can jump into Sun Studios, mm-hmm. Presence of the Lord. Uh, Tell us about this passage and how you chose it in light of the concept of gluttony. Let me first talk about monastics a little bit, and then oh, and, and, and then we'll get to the sermon passage it, the... It, itself. Yes. Well, there's no technically. Well, it there's a teaching moment here. The way that I've structured the post Sunday blues blueprint for going through what you love for going through different aspects of the sermon they're they're built for expository sermons so the bread and butter of liberty collingswood is expositing going through a close reading of a text most often in a sequence of going through a book of the bible where you have one passage and the next passage then the next passage we don't normally do topical series which this is and yeah so there's no slot in the post Sunday blue script for introduce the topic of the series. Mm-hmm. So I am having to mm-hmm. shoehorn it in and it comes from the monastic tradition. I mentioned monks, some of your favorites, M Avargius and <laughs> John, John Cassian. So three hundreds into four hundreds into five hundreds, both in the Eastern church and the Western church, monks became a thing. And the way that it's been explained to me or what, what comes to your mind, I'll put it this way if you can represent our Howlin' Wolves, our listeners, mm-hmm. what what comes to your mind then when, when you think about ancient monastics? Uh, sitting in a walled monastery and doing very little. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Yeah. That's all I got. They, they, they were men of the land, so, so they, they were agrarian. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's not a untrue characterization. Uh, it's not a coincidence, though, that the monastic tradition began to grow as the Constantinian settlement took over the the Roman Empire. So when Christian after Christianity became after and as Christianity was becoming accepted in the ancient Roman world, it became a lot easier to be a Christian. So the first few centuries of the church, there was sporadic persecution, and even when there wasn't out and out persecution, following Jesus was hard because of cultural factors allied against you. Then when Roman Empire shifted Christian, all of a sudden everybody could be a Christian, and the cost was a lot less. The monastic tradition, and you have monks and then also nuns, so men and women, boiled to the surface when there was a growing impulse in a lot of Christians, hey, following Jesus is getting too easy, and there's something that we're missing about taking up our crosses and following Jesus. If the cultural flow is going in this direction, let's get more serious about our faith again. Hmm. Renounce a lot of the encumbrances that comes with wealth and status and privilege to get back to the basics of Christianity. So if At first glance, living monastically might seem a little weird. There was a noble spiritual impulse behind it. And then 
in the minds of these monks, these sins specifically, and the took a little while, I think until Aquinas, where these specific seven sins were, were put in this order. For, so for example, Avargius in the materials that Josh Postlewaite prepared for me, there, there were eight sins in slightly Ooh. different order and maybe a couple of different ones too. I'd have to go back and, and check. But bonus time. But these were but 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 these were ways to get out the sinfulness of our hearts in various ways. And so yeah, we are becoming new monastics by by getting getting our feet wet in the swimming pool of the seven deadlies once okay. again. Interesting. Yeah, it is it is an interesting context and framework. So let's jump into the passage though. How do you how did you approach finding this passage then and um where do you, or talk through where gluttony is in it? It really comes from the last couple of verses, Romans 13, 11 to 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in, not in quarreling and jealousy. I don't see a ton there relating to gluttony specifically in the verse that I just read, save drunkenness perhaps as a form of gluttony. But the main thrust is in the next verse, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Mm -hmm. So this is a passage that Avargius himself used in connection with gluttony. So short answer, Avargius used this passage to talk about gluttony. And sure. that's, that's what gave me the idea. And there is that. So if I'm not sure gluttony in itself is a sin, but I use the language of lubricant for making it easier for us to slide into sin. I think verse 14 captures captures that that mojo, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh. So if our if in our sinful natures give us an inch and we'll take a mile, gluttony is giving too much space, oxygen, making too much provision for when our desires go awry. Right. And I think that's the gluttonous, not the glutinous, but the gluttonous idea behind, yeah. you, uh, behind this passage. And it is a, m more expanded than the like simple definition of gluttony that would focus on food. You're, you've expanded it. I, I uh, like did the monks who were talking about it mm -hmm. also have that expanded view that is actually in the scripture, like yeah. the, the gratifying the desires of the flesh. Um, yeah. is not just f food orientation, but... Yeah. It's having too open of an aperture towards consuming lots of different things. Right. So uh, overindulgence in general. Food is still primary, and kind of funny reading some of these monastics. The... <clears throat> I mean, it's... The original context is very monastic, so you have examples <laughs> of in monasteries, food was rationed out pretty parsimoniously and right. then there's grumblings among monks that some people are stealing or pocketing food bringing it back to their room to eat or are, are eating uh -huh. too much uh -huh. and so there is a little bit of a self-policing where you need to keep on the food train but but they're careful to say or even think about to use this as as a positive example if you're a monk and have taken vows of poverty and simplicity, including mm -hmm. you're not eating a whole lot, if you begin to crave more food than you've promised to ingest and you begin 
to furtively steal food and eat more. You can see how there are a lot of sins accumulating in that single act. And it, so you're, you're opening the door towards deception, towards lack of integrity, towards making a hidden secret life apart from the life of transparency, transparency that you've had to live. You're enabling a covetous mind to <coughs> dominate actions and sully lots of different so just just that one act of eating too much in the context of a monastery does cast its tendrils in a lot of more sinister directions mm -hmm. that, that that bend one's heart away from jesus so i i think it's interesting and appropriate that that gluttony be that first instance of this this catalog this catalog of sins and interesting too to me the I mentioned in the sermon and um, how in monastic discussions about the seven deadly sins, demon is used as a synonym for sin. So sometimes they talk about these seven sins just as often they talk about the demon. So there's the sin of gluttony and then the demon of gluttony. Uh, two upshots. One, there is a supernatural battle and forces allied against followers of Jesus making strides in this direction. So mortification of sin, we need the Holy Spirit for that because Satan and his demons are against us becoming more godly. I think that's an irreducible aspect of the New Testament. And then, then secondly, thinking about gluttony as a demon, I think captures some of the Bivalence, gluttony, maybe not a sin in itself, but it's a magnet for sin really quickly, and that that demon aspect. Just picture the the devil on the shoulder saying, "Just eat a little bit more, take a little bit more," mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to capture some of that some of that downward thrust of of the sin. Right, and it is, and then you are expanding it not just to the the demon saying that about food, but also Correct. about these other things about um, about drinking, which I, I that I'm interested in the monastic position on drinking, but that's like a very huh. like subset tangent. They were brewers. Uh, yeah, that's the and then also for us the modern culture the, the like binging anything. So you're including the Netflix binge. I am. <laughs> what about the sports binge? What about the Super Bowl binge? Worth talking about. I'm just curious. Let's do that here. <laughs> Um, and you divide it into like pull the pulls and stirs in the framework. Do yep. you see that in the text also? So do you want to talk mudding the waters to get into how this becomes sure. more practical? The, the dulling and the stirring was not, not in this passage per se. That's why you don't feel comfortable putting it in stunt studios. Correct. You're that's, just, that's, just stupid. That's exactly why. You're, you're getting it finally. Of, so, this is this, this, yeah. The, so arbitrary. But I do think that the, the twin pulls of dulling and stirring does well enough, at least, I hope, to capture what gluttony does, does to us when, when we take in too much and I, I tried to mention different things, so it can be food, drink, addictive substances, addictive patterns of behavior, shopping, screens, social media. I think 
there's a lot of our behaviors that are captured in those those mm -hmm. specific five across different sorts of people. The the dulling component just makes us less present, more sluggish, less sharp. And then the stirring idea is, or I talked a good bit about alcohol on Sunday, but to use a different example here in the podcast, although we can get back to the drinking, the shopping now, is it is buying stuff inherently sinful or bad? No, mm -hmm. but it's easy enough to, and it's less about knowing where exactly you cross the line, but more about knowing in general, once, once you have the, that too much shopping, it just warps your brain mm -hmm. and, and it, it, it makes you uh, less content with what you have, more jealous of what other people have and you don't have you're thinking about money a lot more, you're stressing out about budget a lot more and either upset that you're not able to buy what you want or you are buying what you want and then you're nervous about accumulating debt or that sort of thing. So, so there is a, a pretty easily discerned stirring snowballing effect when it comes to something as simple, pervasive and common as, as shopping and then the the dulling aspect with shopping I guess is it's just if if that's on your mind a ton there's a lot of other things that are not on your mind a ton mm -hmm. related more directly towards following Jesus in a positive way so yeah two sides of the same coin and uh yeah that's true uh this last thing I'll say here specifically with food there is a dulling and a stirring aspect there right there too so right. so i think it fits the more literal and the more conceptual versions of gluttonous behavior sure and that's also easy to so said last thing but this is an applicatory point where there's smoke there's fire and if we're wondering if there are aspects in our lives that are too gluttonous if we're falling to the demon or the sin of gluttony here where are we being dulled? Where are we being stirred? And uh -huh. follow those breadcrumbs. Interesting. And it could be in more than one of those areas, right? It probably like... is in, <laughs> in, in more than one of those areas. And how did the monks feel about screen time? <laughs> they, they were against it. <laughs> um, okay. Um, what else do you want to hit here? There's actually... There's, um, there's specific things that you, like you used, um, you used examples of, of, of ways that we can move out of it too. Or may, I think, I don't know. Yeah. Three C's. You choose? <laughs> Curb, crucify, cultivate. Right. As different means of uprooting gluttony in our lives. And in some ways, the curb and crucify are on the same continuum. So crucify is a, a deeper form of curbing, I guess. But the the curbing is don't don't wait until you're buried by sin to get off of whatever direction you're. Don't don't wait till you're the end of the line mm -hmm. uh, on the Patco yeah. train. Uh, just don't get on that train in in the first place. That's in the language of Romans 13, 14, making provision for the flesh to gratify its its desires. So so don't 
don't put yourself in the way of, of sin, which is something that's individual where what's okay for one person might not be okay for the next person. So there is a know thyself component to that. And then the crucify is just get rid of it. Don't, don't entertain it. And then also the crucifixion aspect gets us back to that definitive sanctification piece where you can't say you can't. And the Navigator's topical memory verse, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me and the life I live. In the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me. Um, our, those old desires, if you believe in Jesus, have been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more, mm -hmm. both the guilt and the ongoing power. Uh, so live into that and then cultivate. Grow other things instead. So it's not just shop less, drink less, binge less, eat less, and just sit there. Monks didn't do that either. They, they, they even if stereotypically, I mean, there is a lot of content, contemplation and silence for sure. They were farmers. But they were they farmers. Were, they and were they, they making wine. Maybe. <laughs> What do you mean but maybe? <laughs> I, I actually don't. The so so in, the... in more modern times, monks are brewers and vintners. Were they in ancient times? I honestly I don't they know. Were. <laughs> uh, they could they could well be. I'm, I'm that not, was the I'm, whole point. Not a like the the, the restaurant monks. <laughs> I'm I'm more of an expert on monks maybe when it comes to six, 16th and spruce. Those are <laughs> those are the monks that I'm familiar with more than more uh -huh, than the ancient uh -huh. tradition. I can't really claim good. to know more. Yeah. Um, like in terms of those and putting off, actually, when you, you also used yourself as an example, your high school self that chose not to drink. Right. And then you were also um, talking about cultural impulses like Marie Kondoing and people wanting cleanses and yeah. um, reducing their footprints. Mm -hmm. Those are impulses of our society that are not bad. Correct. Impulses yeah. to like also not move towards gluttony. Um, is there a distinction to be made between like that kind of cultural impulse versus like what makes it more a biblical following? Or, yeah. Yeah, often in teasing out conjunction and disjunction between Christ and culture with that sort of thing, I'll go back to the creation horizon versus the fallen horizon versus the redemptive horizon where commonalities often occur across the creation horizon and disjunctions with the fallen horizon. So with the, in terms of how we're created, I think there is a universal human impulse that we do indulge too much. And so the cleansing, Marie Kondoing, I have the list that I named here, unplugging, downsizing, right-sizing, reducing footprint, diet, detox, intermittent fasting, juicing, living off the grid. And with within that, there's some stereotypically right-leaning and left-leaning impulses, but the root, one could argue, is similar, where there's too much in the world and we need to consume less of it. Yeah, there there is a healthy, good image of God, God-derived intuition there. The disjunction is uh, calling it sin and looking to Jesus ultimately as opposed to looking to self. And so I would say for a skeptic who's drawn maybe to this idea of seven deadly sins, even through a sermon series like this, if we have skeptics tuning in or attending or watching, for you to truly conquer these sins is watching more 
wellness and organizational videos on YouTube really going to do the trick versus a full-orbed and full-bodied life of discipleship in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's the yes, and, and then also the no. I, I mentioned in a sermon a few weeks ago, and I ha- I'd have to go back. I think it was one of those you know, offered to me by the Internet God's articles, how there, there's the, one of the self-help cottage indus- industries is the organizational self, uh-huh. where whether it's Marie Kondo, Home Edit, bullet journaling, super note, there's, there's just lots of different, hey, if you get your life in more order, there, there is some skepticism among research and academic studies that says, does consuming a ton more of those things actually lead to less stress and more health? Or mm-hmm. does it just hook you to watching more of those videos and sure. uh, rabbit holing more and more and more. So, so it does, it's possible in some way that leaning into organizational simplifying wellness behaviors is actually its own form of addiction. <laughs> Where, right. Well, I uh, mean, I would just say that that's just basic screen, screen addiction. Like, so that's, a, that's another layer yeah. on top of it too. So yeah, everything, everything is connected. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then going back to, to, to the knowing oneself, uh, alcohol got to the point with me where crucifying was the most obvious best and really easiest way forward for other people with alcohol uh there's no action item there for some others it might be likewise crucifix crucifying it uprooting it completely for others a curb curbing it it's fine and and that's that that's where you that's where you should land but 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 these are all lifestyle choices that christians are called to interrogate in a deeper way Mm -hmm. than than i think we normally do and lent is a great time historically in the church when we can look more closely at these behaviors and patterns sure so using lent as an opportunity to just pause and then when you're pausing noticing the absence um being prayerful about that time and and the only other thing I'll say at this point is there is a growing suspicion on my part that Lent itself can be taken culturally captive to the larger wellness industrial complex here here in the West where we may be doing some good things as followers of Jesus for Lent, but it lacks a Jesus or a gospel focus. Sure. And, and it really is... You just want to lose weight. I just so want to lose give, a couple pounds. You're giving up chocolate. Right. Yeah. And uh, my my skin's too blotchy, and I I want you know better sure. better skin, so I'm gonna eliminate con- consuming these things. None of which are bad in itself, but that's also not the end in itself. Just to improve those behaviors, and and I am intrigued by the idea of using Lent as practice for a longer term, where maybe what your radar is pinging to have you give up for Lent is something you, you should maybe, if not probably, give up longer term than mm-hmm. that, but use it as an opportunity to get on that playing field yeah. and and see if there is even more there. So so use Lent 
not as an end-all, be-all season, but as a practice field for longer life trajectories. Okay. Do you know what you're doing for Lent? Giving up for Lent? Uh, no. <laughs> Just curious. I'm not... Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I'm still... Or this will be my first Mardi Gras since high school where I don't drink. So, <laughs> I, I guess from one perspective, I've started it early, but... Um, I, yeah, I guess this is this, monasticism. this can sound sound deflating, but um, that I'm not doing anything specific for Lent. Uh, but what was pinging my radar, I've dealt with since sure. last summer. But nothing else at this point is currently pinging sure, in the same way. I'm sure but Clara can find something for you. <laughs> I'm sure. How about you? Teenagers are big sniffer I, I, I guess I haven't asked you. Is there oh, a, is there a I don't know either for sure. Idea. Maybe maybe New York Times games. <laughs> which okay. I was using as like a excuse because it's on the New York Times app. But maybe I need to like just put them, just jump straight to other things instead of those. Could could I ask about that just for a second? I know we need to wrap up in a couple of minutes. Sure. Is, <laughs> Put that through the prism of dulling and stirring, just for the sake of, yeah, I of listeners. Yeah, it's like an, it's an interesting, easy way to just like preoccupy my mind when I need like a break from things. But uh, as a like starting off rhythm or as a like rabbit hole location to, to be that it, it is just like any other gaming device like mm -hmm. just because it's on the new york times and it exercises a little bit more of your logic brain doesn't mean that like it's necessarily better like probably gaming on ps4 has like some logic yeah. um creative mm -hmm. spin or whatever but if it becomes the rabbit hole or if it becomes the go-to then there's something there's something about screen addiction that also is like messing with us as as full or whole people yeah the way you're talking about or the way it's like giving into gratif the gratification of, i guess the desire is for escape escapism hmm. um and it does that well it, yeah like gaming i think gives you your brain a place to escape but it's yep. not like productive escapism mm -hmm. yeah if it goes too far yeah, I think that makes sense. One of the distinctions that I'll use in conversations with people M is to ask the question, to what extent is one's recreation actually recreative? Oh. Hmm. And the, when recreation ceases to be recreative, then it's in danger of becoming escapism. Sure. And so use something like that. I'm not saying specifically in your case but 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 use your recreations to the so that so that you can be recreated including in the image of god that we're being renewed by the holy spirit out of out of our union with christ but if it's not doing that and it's just becoming more dulling over time then you've leaned in too far probably sure Okay, bar band cover tunes. You mm -hmm. have already talked about monks. You've talked about Marie Kondo. <laughs> so there's what the Brussels burger, the Bruges burger, <laughs> the monks burger itself, the the Chetty Topper, which I, is a new one. 
like we're doing it here on this podcast, but you didn't sales pitch monks. Um, I guess it would be defeating for the like gluttony connection point. <laughs> Maybe I should go to monks today. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, that would have been a great idea. Maybe I, I get pet legal with me to 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 do a <laughs> live oh live live Fat Insta Tuesday. Fat Tuesday at monks for the sake of Liberty Colleagues would. Uh-huh. Be- because um, I care. So, uh, Barband Cover Tunes, we had Vargius and John Cassian, the Topical Memory Verse Galatians 2.20, and that that's kind of it. I, I told our daughter Jessie, who's a huge Friends watcher for, for, for her happy place, that I was going to be referencing Matthew Perry on Sunday morning, but... But then you did. But, but she happened... No, well, I... You're saving uh, it? You, no, I did. You, you oh, were not, I I, so, so I didn't name Matthew Perry, uh-huh. but I said Chandler from Friends, and Chandler is the it. character that. <laughs> yeah. So my my favorite friend. Uh-huh. The and it was at the. But uh, we we had dinner in Jan, early January dinner after holidays, in Western PA. I was doing a dry January, uh, the Bach Building that restaurant. At the Bach building. At the Bach. Yeah. yeah, I forget the name of it. Yeah. It's because it's always changing. Sir, sir, would you like a cocktail, though? I'm doing a dry January. Oh, yeah, the good for you. <laughs> Congratulations, good for you. It was literally January 3rd. <laughs> come on, buddy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good tipper. You don't have to oh, come butter on. me Just up. Just give him a... Yeah, anyway. He was fine. I was annoyed. It's a cult. It is not a bad. I guess that's the thing. It is not a bad cultural impulse to. It's actually a recognition that that you're right. That that this is sin. That, yeah. That these these impulses of like fulfilling the desires of your flesh. That there is something in your human nature that like goes too far, with all these things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Anyway. Fair, but I would say even when I'm patronizing a restaurant, I don't like to be patronized. Any leftover stories behind the sermon? What's next on the the list? Let me check. Greed. Greed. Okay, that's. I could see it could it being connected, and then covetousness. That's is that after, or is that is that the same? Uh, where greed? we're going from here is. Is greed and coveting the same thing? I think so. Okay. So well, there's envy down down the road oh. too. So greed, anger, and then same category: listlessness slash dejection, which uh-huh. will be an interesting one. Lust, envy, pride. Okay. What are some of the ones that got knocked out of the seven? I'd have to go back and check. Okay. Curious. Ask Josh. He has that info <laughs> on the, off the top of his head. Um, and there, what you said, there was a Howlin' Wolf. Yep. There was someone who wrote in so, and asked. Helen Wolf, Anna, thank you for writing in, and yeah, feel free to write in, post on my regular email address, or post on com. the, hey, we appreciated the sermon yesterday, sparked good conversation, circling back to the spiritual disciplines, we were wondering if you could explore a little bit the connection and divergence between fasting and gluttony. Oh. Not in a here's the line sort of thing. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, the connection to the divergence between feasting and gluttony. Not in a here's the line sort of way, but if gluttony dulls our sensitivity to the spirit, how does feasting wet oh, it? So, good question. In, in part, I think, 
the answer is a healthy appropriation of Mardi Gras and Ash Wednesday. So, you know, people take Mardi Gras way too far. But but you could still argue from a positive perspective that fasting and feasting is captured by the the joining of of those two days. But in a broader way, I would go back to creation, fall, and redemption, where from the pers- from the horizons both of creation and redemption and restoration at the end of time feasting is a good thing mm-hmm. where we are put in a world that god created good in my devotional reading for this morning just my annual bible reading plan i was with peter in acts 10 and 11 where he goes to cornelius and discovers that you know all food we can eat is good the Enjoying God's good creation, including by way of feasting, is something simply that, that that we should be doing. And the end of time is going to be a feast when when Jesus comes back, the the marriage supper of the Lamb. From the fallen horizon perspective, because of our sin, that's where the the fasting and the limiting comes in. So, as Christians living in the already not yet, Jesus has already come to inaugurate the kingdom of God, but has not yet come to consummate it. We live out in our lives combinations of feasting and fasting in various ways, but the trick is keeping them in the right proportion. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, fasting should be more common than feasting. Martin Luther would talk about using the cross as theologies of the cross and of glory, where until Jesus comes back, we're primarily living under the theology of the cross, where Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, let him, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. So much of the time we are limiting, we are fasting, we are mortifying the flesh. But in an anticipatory way, we do have good reason occasionally to feast as we anticipate mm-hmm. the, the world to come. Sure. So. If it's if it's all fasting, you need to feast more. If it's all feasting, you need to fast more. Sure, and I don't. I mean, I would. There's just this is like the layperson view, and not the like one that you're laying out theologically. Sure. But feasting does seem to me to be communal. Um, oh, that's interesting. And fasting to be like solo and personal, and gluttony seems to be solo and personal as a well. See, you have the context of these, like, New Orleans feasting, which is different than any context I would <laughs> call feasting. But that's more like the drunkenness and orgies that are being laid out in the passage. But sure. the call biblically to feast mm-hmm. seems more like a communal celebration. The yeah. Lord's Supper is supposed to be a feast, right? Taste and see the Yeah, that language yeah, is used um, there for sure. And so that's weekly <laughs> in mm-hmm. one sense. And yeah. And fasting is a, like, gluttony to me feels less involved with feasting until I, like, connect yeah. it to Mardi Gras. No, I, I like that. So so gluttony is private. Feasting is communal. That That's an interesting distinction that yeah. I think holds up biblically. Until you get to New Orleans. Yeah, well, uh, we had to cancel it for weather, but there's going to be a Fat Tuesday feast at our house for Liberty Pastors that right. we, we've done every year for the past few years that I think is a really good and healthy thing. And our old pastor in West Philly, Joel Holm, 
told me the story um, when he was, I think, in college or in his 20s, he would do a lot of fasting. Mm -hmm. But he once received the encouragement from an older pastor, don't feast, don't fast on Sundays. Okay, but Sundays uh, are supposed to be and celebratory. On Sundays, the Lord's Day, we put special effort, focus, and time into living the age to come in the current one and fasting doesn't fit on a Sunday enjoy enjoy some feasting as you look forward to Christ to come sure and the more I think about it the more though there are like feasts that are pretty <laughs> anyway yeah don't even your Super Bowl spread not yours specifically but the like yeah is that, that was a... <laughs> I got multiple comments from people Gluttony on Super Bowl Sunday is yeah, is a funny I, I, juxtaposition. You did, you did not push that enough, I think. <laughs> anyway, My restraint is legendary. It's kind of amazing. Okay, um, I think that's it. Any other announcements? More deadly sins coming. Wait for it. Okay, with that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more post-Sunday blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Happy.